This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Today we'll look at how the economic turmoil in Europe is affecting Zoomers. I'll be joined by Claudio Salmaso from the organization Cinquanta e Piu in Rome to talk about the changing climate in a post-Berlusconi Italy. Also, there's good news here in Ontario for cancer patients and their families because of a brand new program to give better access to life-saving drugs. We'll talk to Dr. Malcolm Moore, Physician-in-Chief at Princess Margaret Hospital. And here's a great holiday gift idea, a good book. We'll hear from reporter David Bale about two recent award winners that are sure to please any reader on your shopping list. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm feeling great. I feel so energized. Hmm. It's amazing what a little pepper spray will do for you. (laughs) That's 84-year-old Dorley Rainey responding to MSNBC anchor Keith Olbermann. Rainey made headlines earlier this week after she was pepper sprayed during an Occupy Seattle protest. A disturbing photograph of Rainey taken just after she was sprayed quickly went viral on the Internet before becoming an international news story. Dorley Rainey is no stranger to activism. The former schoolteacher is well-known in Seattle political circles and even had her name in the hat for the 2009 mayoral election. She took the pepper-spraying incident in stride and says she still plans to be a part of the Occupy Seattle movement. Ottawa is taking steps to allow more Zoomers to save for their retirement by setting up pooled registered pension plans. PRPPs are voluntary and designed for the self-employed or people who work for smaller companies that can't afford pensions. Ottawa and the provinces agreed to the initiative last December. Critics say it would have been better to expand the Canada Pension Plan. CARP has been lobbying the government to reform pension legislation for quite some time. Vice President of Advocacy Susan Eng says these plans will benefit financial institutions more than Zoomers. The biggest beneficiaries of this plan are going to be the life insurance companies and the banks who will offer yet another product to help us save. The problem has been uh, with a very similar uh, scheme in Australia is that the high fees that they take for administering our money um, basically offset all the savings that we might have. Well, here's one reason it's so hard for many of us to save for retirement. A third of Canadian Zoomers who are 55 or older have at least 16 years left on their mortgages. That's according to the Royal Bank's latest housing survey, which also finds that three-quarters of us want to be mortgage-free by age 65. On the other hand, about 4 in 10 Canadian homeowners say they have no mortgage. A Canadian pioneer of early childhood education has passed away. Dr. Fraser Mustard, whose work helped pave the way for full-day kindergarten, died earlier this week at the age of 84. Mustard's primary mission was to convey the crucial importance of a child's experiences in the first six years of life. 
He co-authored a seminal report in 1999 that urged the Ontario government to foster positive early childhood growth with new programs and increased funding, among other recommendations. Mustard spent years in medical research, including work that established the role of aspirin in staving off cardiovascular disease. Jack Layton's story is being made into a film with the blessing of his widow, Olivia Chow. The former NDP leader died of an undisclosed form of cancer at the age of 61 this past summer. His death prompted a national outpouring of grief and several requests by filmmakers to make a documentary about his life. The Leighton family chose veteran filmmaker and producer Laszlo Barna of Pier 21 Films, who also made Force of Nature about David Suzuki. Chow says she's hopeful the movie will encourage people who haven't been involved in politics to be less cynical and more willing to participate. My question is, will the film reveal what type of cancer killed Jack? I wrote a column in the current issue of Zoomer magazine about why I think the family should disclose this. It sparked a big debate, and needless to say, not everyone agrees with me. You can check it out and let us know what you think at comment at zoomermag.com. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. We're all coping with a tough economy and volatile markets, but think of what it must be like for Zoomers caught in the midst of Europe's financial crisis. In Italy, it's just a week after Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi's resignation, and the situation is uncertain. We'll be checking in with CARP's counterparts around the world from time to time. And for the first installment of our global CARP chat, I reached Claudio Salmaso of Cinquante e Piu, that's 50-plus, in Rome. Hi, Claudio. It's Libby. Ciao. Como stai? Very well. And, and you? I'm very well, thank Va you. Va bene. Va bene, exactly. First of all, I, I'd like to know how all the recent economic turmoil in Italy and the European Union has affected Zoomers, baby boomers, the 50-plus in Italy. The negative uh, international economic situation is affecting Italy since uh, almost one year. The effects uh, of this crisis are palpable, and particularly baby boomers have to adjust their plans for retirement. The current crisis is creating economic as well as the daily life problems. Rising of the cost of the goods, decreasing of the consumption, unemployment, and the problems related to the difficulty in finding a new job, especially for those over 40 years old. All uh, these elements are drawing an uncertain economic future and creating a general state of concern. Berlusconi's government has ended and a new technical government is being formed. There are some reforms that are being discussed at the moment they have do, to do with pushing forward the mandatory retirement age, no cutting pensions. I understand that the current retirement age is 60 and there's a proposal to raise it to 65 immediately and to 67 within 10 years. In that context, what would you like to see? I, I, I hope for the baby boomers the possibility to go uh, late in the pension, but to have uh, the, the same amount they receive now for, for the pension. No, not, no cut the, the amount of euro, 
but uh, to have only the possibility to go in the pension late at the si 67 years, then now is uh, 60 years old. This is an important goal for us. And it also sounds like um, you're willing to do your part to, to try to improve things in Italy. Uh, the baby boomers is a very, very important part of Italian society because they believe in, in our country and they work in this uh, uh, line. It is important to believe it's possible to change because the Italian economy is not a bad economy. It's a normal economy. This period is international crisis around the world, also in Italy, but uh, the uh, Berlusconi era is now at the end. No? We hope for a better future because in the first time the two important parties in, in the different uh, uh, positions in Italy work together. We hope uh, that the situation is, is, is possible to change this situation, but it needs time. Claudio, uh, we really, really appreciate your time. Those are very thoughtful comments. Thank you very, very yeah. much. Okay, thank you very much. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return with a look at Cancer Care Ontario's new program for the case-by-case -case approval of life-saving drugs. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. There's great news for Ontario cancer patients and their families just out this week. It comes following several very public battles for access to life-saving drugs. Cancer Care Ontario is launching a program to approve cancer drugs on a case-by-case -case basis, which means people whose cases fall through the cracks now have somewhere to turn. It's about cases like Jill Anzaruts. Remember, she was the 35-year-old mother who wasn't eligible for a drug called Herceptin to treat her breast cancer because her tumor was a little too small. And it will also help cases like Lydia Toporowski's. When you have a family to look after and you want to stay around for your family, um, you have to try things. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm really, really, really thrilled that um, it's going to happen for a lot of other people. Our listeners will remember Lydia, the Keswick mother of two who fought the province to cover Fulfirinox, the new drug cocktail that put her metastatic pancreatic cancer into remission. While she had to go into debt to get the $20,000 treatment, other provinces either covered the drug or approved it on a case-by-case -case basis. It's hard. I mean, um, it was just my husband working, and um, we had to refinance them. some things. I did have to. Um, we had to sell some things. Um, you know, it's just very, very stressful. It's stressful on a relationship. It's it's stressful, you know, on the family. Um, you know, and my parents were helping out, and they're retired as well, and you're going into their funds, and... You know, it's like, what happens if this treatment doesn't work, you know, and you have all this money that, you know, that you owe. Cancer Care Ontario will now review the cases of people who need unfunded drugs or who don't qualify to get drugs that are already approved under the current eligibility rules. I talked with Dr. Malcolm Moore, physician-in-chief at Princess Margaret Hospital. 
I was quite surprised Cancer Care Ontario announced a program for case-by-case approval. Uh, Yeah, that's a pleasant surprise. A bit unexpected, uh, given the current uh, fiscal climate, but it's been something that people have been asking for uh, for quite a while. What do you think brought it on? Um, you know, it's it's hard to know. I, I mean, you could say that it's the right thing to do. Uh, the problem, uh, the, the problem has been that w- these drugs are expensive. Uh, they're funded based on evidence from large trials, and there are lots of patients who kind of don't fit into the categories of the traditional trials, but still, based on some evidence, would probably benefit from the drugs. You know, a good example, and perhaps this is what led to it, was the the woman who had the very small breast tumor, and the guy Jill Anzurut, right, uh, who um, uh, didn't fit the category for funding based on the study, which just didn't seem sensible to anyone, uh, doctor or not, that someone because their tumor was two millimeters too small would be excluded from a drug which benefited tumors, you know, that were slightly bigger. And so uh, hopefully those sort of things uh, will be taken, you know, will not happen anymore with this. And, and, and I see patients with rarer types of cancer where honestly there will never be uh, a large thousand patient study showing benefit of drugs. And sometimes you have to go on a lower level of evidence. And uh, so the, uh, the ability to appeal or their unique circumstances, people have you know, some previous heart disease and can't use the usual drug, need a different drug. So I think it, it's a good thing. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see how it works and how restrictive or open they are. The other thing that they've done is they said that they will not reconsider drugs that have been rejected. So it's not, uh, it's not all-encompassing. It, they're basically covering conditions that have not, never been reviewed. I think the, the really good news about it is that there's something to catch people who fall through the cracks. That's correct. Although I can tell you from uh, in my younger days when I was involved with the drug program at the ministry, uh, we set up a an exceptional drug uh, sit program, uh, you know, with the best of intentions. And within a relatively short time, we're swamped by the number of requests. So it's not, uh, it cannot be, it's not necessarily a trivial undertaking. Cancer Care said they're expecting that this will affect about 100 cases a year. Does that sound right to you? No. No. I mean, there are uh, tens of thousands of cases of cancer uh, every year. Uh, Each story is unique. And I would be very surprised if it was 100 cases a year. I I would say uh, maybe in the first few months it'll be not so many until people get used to the program. But the number of cancer drugs, potential cancer drugs that are out there is huge. In Ontario, there's 200 oncologists. And in my own practice, I could probably think about of 20 or 30 patients in a year where one would consider doing something like this, where I've considered a use of a drug. It's outside the guidelines, but there's some evidence. So if, if you extrapolate that times 200 oncologists, I think... Once the program is fully mature, it'll be looking at thousands of cases. So what's the bottom line? I think it's a good thing uh, because I don't think, given the current system, there was really no way for these individual cases to be dealt with, uh, even though some of them were very compelling. And so I think it's, it's actually laudable that they've uh, moved ahead and done this. 
Dr. Malcolm Moore, thanks for joining us. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. It's time for another short break. When we return, we'll be joined by reporter David Bale for a look at two great books that are sure to please any literature fan on your holiday shopping list. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. If there are only two books you read this season, here are the ones to choose. For that matter, they'd make great gifts for the readers on your list. Essie Adugin's Half-Blood Blues and Patrick DeWitt's The Sisters Brothers were each nominated for four major literary awards, including the Man Booker Prize. Edugin won the Scotiabank Giller Prize, and DeWitt took home the Rogers Writers Trust Award and the Governor General's Award for Fiction. David Bale has more. Chinese piano superstar Long Long performed in the opening moments, but the moment everyone was waiting for was this, from Giller Prize founder Jack Rabinovich. The jury says we are pleased to announce that uh, Essie Odugin is a woman. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh my God, I didn't even prepare a proper speech. I wasn't expecting this. Essie Adugian won it for Half-Blood Blues, the story of black jazz musicians in Nazi-occupied Europe during World War II. Part of the inspiration? Her father, an immigrant to Canada from Ghana. My dad was, you know, a huge jazz fan. He's got a, a just a wonderful, um, you know, collection of jazz on vinyl. The first-time mother to a two-month-old baby landed on the shortlists for three other major literary prizes as well. The Man Booker, the Rogers Writers' Trust Fiction Prize, and the Governor General's Literary Award. And the 2011 Governor General's Award for Fiction goes to Patrick DeWitt for the Sisters Brothers. Patrick DeWitt actually got this good news a week ago, the morning of the Scotiabank Giller Prize, one of the other major literary awards for which he was shortlisted. I was told not to tell anyone, and then we went to the Giller (laughs) ceremony, so it was a very exciting day. The Sisters Brothers is a tale of sibling rivalry set out west during the Gold Rush era. It's only DeWitt's second published novel, and it won the Rogers Writers' Trust Fiction Prize, was shortlisted for the Man Booker and Scotiabank Giller Prizes, and now this. The first uh, shortlisting was a big surprise, and since then it's just been one surprise after the other, and um, no, it's not something that I've ever entertained, so no one's more uh, surprised about it than I am. The nonfiction prize went to Charles Foran for his biography of Mordecai Richler, titled Mordecai, The Life and Times. What does Foran think Richler, himself a two-time Governor General Award winner, would have thought of his book? For a biography of 700-plus pages, which is 95% about him, not his work, he would have said, ah, I don't know, this guy should go get a job. (laughs) (laughs) From the N-Wave Theatre at Harborfront, I'm David Bale for the Zoomer Week in Review. Earlier this week, I went to the opening night of the National Ballet's new production of Romeo and Juliet. It was wonderful. Now, I realize a lot of you probably are not ballet fans, especially the guys. My husband realized he had a really important meeting that he couldn't move when I asked him to come with me. One male friend unfortunately had to go to the football game. Another had to work. What I'm saying is, it's worth giving the ballet a try. Here's Dan Duford. There was a call from Karen Kane, and she asked if I'm interested in doing your room in Juliet. And uh, I couldn't say no. We hear this 
That's internationally celebrated choreographer Alexei Redmansky, busy with last-minute rehearsals for his much-anticipated new production of Romeo and Juliet. A former artistic director of the Bolshoi Ballet, Redmansky has been hailed by the New York Times as the most in-demand ballet choreographer in the world. Here's the National Ballet of Canada's principal conductor and music director, David Briskin. To have one of the leading choreographers of our day create a brand new ballet to one of the most beloved scores of the 20th century is really quite monumental. Briskin says Redmansky has respect for traditional ballet, but brings a completely fresh vision. So we have something that is very, very deep and very, very Russian, but very contemporary at the same time. Principal dancer Guillaume Cote, who plays Romeo, says the ballet world is abuzz about the new production. I was in Russia and everybody was asking me questions about the productions. So it's pretty cool that even in Russia, you know, there's echoes of what we're doing here in Canada. I really think it's quite historical. I mean, you've got certain landmark productions of major ballets that take place over the course of history. And this is, I think, the Romeo for the 21st century with a Russian choreographer. At the Walter Carson Center in Queens Key West, I'm Dan Duford for the Zoomer Week in Review. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon right here on the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.